Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. Who asks the question, what does this button do? Oh my goodness me, yes, it's episode 17 in this format of the Blindside podcast. And as they say, I learned the truth at 17. Welcome. Thank you for downloading us for this week. And yes, the new computer is here. It's set up. I took possession of it on Thursday afternoon. They called me late on Wednesday afternoon and said, it's here, it's here. And I said, oh, mate. I'm absolutely flat out with work and I won't be able to get there until Thursday afternoon. So, you know, you know there's this new toy waiting for you. Actually, that's great, but there's a lot of setup to be done to get things just the way you like them. If you have not used Ninite, I used Ninite when I was working in Windows full time and wondered if they were still around and put the word out on Twitter saying, is Ninite still around? They are. And Ninite, N-I-N-I-T-E dot com, is this service where you can build an installer that installs a whole bunch of apps at once. It's amazing for configuring a new PC with apps that you want. You can do Dropbox and uh, even Winamp is still there, which is great because I still like my Winamp. Gosh, there's uh, iTunes, a whole lot of things that you may want. And you can build them into a single installer and just run it. And it goes away and installs all these apps. Now, the cool thing is that you can run that installer periodically from then on in. And if there are updates to any of the apps, then you can grab the updates. The browsers are there too, so you can get Chrome and Firefox. You can get Skype. It was just a huge time saver because I built my installer before the computer arrived and just ran it and quickly got my Dropbox. Lots of things I needed just came down through the Dropbox. I installed Microsoft Office 365 and a whole lot of audio things. And uh, even though we got it home at about three o'clock, On the Thursday afternoon, I was well in time to produce my Mushroom FM voice tracked radio show for just a few hours later. So pretty pleased with my progress. We're producing this podcast on Studio Recorder and I'm getting familiar once again with all of those commands. But I used Studio Recorder for such a long time that it's kind of muscle memory. Up ahead on the Blindside podcast this week, we've got a couple of items for you. I'm going to bring Bonnie Mosen into the studio because we're going to talk about something that I'd really like your feedback on. I can see the statistics for the podcast, and I know that we're getting a lot of people listening. It's uh, beyond my wildest imagination, so that's really wonderful, and I appreciate that. But it would be good to hear your voice or get some emails from you. And there's an issue that's come up in a couple of contexts for us, one in terms of legislation that has been debated in Britain recently. I understand that that debate was curtailed, and it may come back sometime soon. And also with us personally, and this is to do with guide dog discrimination. So I'd like to talk about that and hear your own experiences if you'd like to share them with us. You can do that by sending an email to theblindside at mosin.org. The blind side is all one word. And you can send it by text, just write your email down, or if you want, you can send me an audio file, maybe through the recorder app on your smartphone or just by recording it on your computer. That'd be just fine. The blind side at mosin.org. You'll hear about some of the issues we would be interested in hearing from you about in just a moment when we talk to Bonnie. And then as we continue to get ourselves into the holiday groove, we're going to be speaking with Yarek Bexer from Auckland University of Technology's Audio Game Hub Project. What a fantastic thing this is, and we'll talk to Yarek 
as he was passing through an airport. He's a busy man at the moment. And then we'll also give you a quick demo of a couple of the Audio Game Hub games. Before we continue, there is something I do want to tell you about that is special on Mushroom FM this coming weekend. It would be hard for many people who are listening to this podcast, if you're in the United States or Australia, many other countries, to believe how restricted radio was in some Western countries. In Britain and New Zealand, there were periods where the government held a monopoly on the radio stations. They ran them all. The BBC, of course, is a a wonderful institution, but some people wanted commercial, uh, vibrant, youth-oriented radio, and the BBC wasn't providing it in the 1960s. It was ironic that when you think of the fact that the Beatles and Jerry and the Pacemakers and Herman's Hermits and the Stones and all these great bands were coming out of Britain, there wasn't a youth-focused station playing that music all the time. And it was a similar thing in New Zealand. And 50 years ago, this Sunday, New Zealand's time, a radio station put to sea. This was modelled on what was being done in Britain as well in protest at this. And this station called Radio Hierarchy, it's got a different ending from the British stations, none of whom, or none of which, ever got a terrestrial license on the radio on a permanent basis at all. In the case of the the New Zealand station, Radio Hierarchy, they won the battle. They overturned the government's monopoly, they got a license, and they're still broadcasting. So on Mushroom FM, on Saturday evening at 5pm US Eastern Time, 10pm in the UK, which equates to Sunday morning in New Zealand at 11am, exactly 50 years ago to the minute that Radio Haraki started broadcasting from their boat, I'm going to play a three-hour documentary that I've just finished producing. In fact, it was the last very major piece of audio production that I did on the Mac using Amadeus Pro. It's a really big business putting this together because there's digital restoration involved and and lots of cutting and pasting and it's a big audio job. What we're going to do is tell you the story of Radio Hierarchy. Uh, We'll have interviews with some of the key players, but most important, we'll have some very rare audio, actual recordings of Radio Hierarchy, including the full documentary that they produced that launched them, that, that talked about to the public what they were there for, what they were all about. So if you have an interest in radio history at all, then you will really want to hear this. It's a fascinating story, and it's called Born Free. I did a version of this about seven years ago, but this is completely redone, and it's way better than the last version, and there's a lot of new material. And so that will air on Mushroom FM on the web at mushroomfm.com, and in all the groovy radio apps, you'll be able to search for Mushroom FM and find it there. Saturday night at 5pm Eastern, 10pm UK, which equates to 11am on Sunday morning here in New Zealand. Really looking forward to presenting that to you. And of course, the Mosin Explosion will be on Sunday afternoon as normal. Great to see some blindside podcasts tuning in for that and making themselves known as well. Also good to see so many of you taking advantage of the Mosin Consulting special that we ran over the Black Friday period. Great to see the bargains being snapped up. That promotion has now ended, but of course you can still head over to the store to investigate all that we have. Won't be too long before we have another new book in the store, and I think you'll find that one very interesting indeed. We'll tell you more about that, of course, once the book launches. And now, stories making news in the blind community on The Blind Side. And one such story is from the United Kingdom this week. Legislation was recently introduced that would make it compulsory for all taxi drivers to have disability training. 
Disability training would hopefully reduce the issues that guide dog handlers are having in the United Kingdom with being refused guide dogs or having weird suggestions made at them about how to transport the dog. Well, it's a common problem, and somebody who can talk with us about this is our very own Bonnie Mosin from Mosin Consulting, because Bonnie is not only a guide dog handler, as I once was, but she also did work in public relations for the Seeing Eye, and often people would be asking questions about this. So what do you think, Bonnie? Do you think it's a good idea that there would be compulsory disability training available for taxi drivers? I think it's been a long time coming, and and I'm frankly surprised that someone hasn't made this type of legislation before, because I do think not just taxi drivers, but I think that anybody who's going to be doing public service should undergo some sort of compulsory disability responsiveness training. I know that from when I had a guide dog and even when I travel with you, you kind of have an experience where maybe something hasn't gone as smoothly as you thought. And then for a long time afterwards, it's almost like a traumatic response that every time you get into a taxi or you go into a restaurant or you check in at a hotel, you're kind of on alert, you're tense, wondering mm-hmm. whether this is the next time that you're going to be given a hassle. And really, it shouldn't be that way. I mean, people with disabilities should be able to travel freely without this kind of stuff. Or do you think it's just the nature of the beast that we'd always have to learn how to be good self-advocates because we're never going to have a perfect world and we, we have to know how to handle these situations? I think for me, and and I have been, I'm not sure why, but I've been working dogs for almost 26 years, 26 years. And um, I have been incredibly lucky that I have had very few advocacy issues. And most of them, I can't think of any of them that has not been able to be overcome with just a little bit of educating the the person. Because a lot of times it is how you handle yourself in a situation. It's frustrating, you're angry, you want to just rip their head off. But if you remain calm and diplomatic about it, a lot of times they, they will give in. And a lot of times... The issues that I've had have been in restaurants or hotels where the owners may not be from the United States or for time at the UK. They may be from countries where their orientation to dogs are quite different than what we would find in, in Europe or the United States or here in New Zealand. You have to remember in a lot of developing countries or third world countries – Dogs are not pets. They tend to be rabid. They tend to run wild on the streets, be scavengers. Um, a lot of them will kill livestock, attack people in villages. So there's naturally this fear more than anything toward a dog. Of course, that does not excuse a person's behavior. Um, if you're going to do a public job, you would assume that you would need to be educated to know that there will come a time that you're going to encounter a service animal. A lot of times, I think, especially in restaurants, they have had a lot of training with the health department who have said, oh, you can't have any animals in the restaurant. And more than likely, the health department neglected to say except for service dogs, or they've been had so much thrown in at them that they forgot that piece. But a lot of it is just education. The area that I have always had an issue with and honestly i think we will always have an issue with which is why i'm very glad to see this legislation in the uk are taxi drivers a lot of times it's just getting them to come because 
if they don't stop and say, I can't pick you up, you don't know if you've been discriminated against. But I have been in situations where I have called taxis or even tried to hail them on the street. They look at the dog and they turn the light on. They're gone. And there's there's not a lot you can do about it, which is great that we here in New Zealand have the Braille on the door that you can read. Or in a case like Uber, you can actually get the license number and report it. Because a lot of times there's a lot of discrimination that you don't know about just because the cab refuses to stop. I know that Uber does get criticized. I'm not so sure that Uber is any worse than your average taxi company, to be honest. And I think there are some advantages in using Uber in the sense that you do have a record of the driver that picked you up or that was supposed to pick you up and what the license number is and stuff like that. And I mean, if you can see that your Uber is on its way and then you get the notification that says that it's arrived and then suddenly the trip's been cancelled, well, you know, that Uber driver is due for the high jump. Obviously, whether they enforce it and whether they follow up in an appropriate manner is the key. I had a situation with an Uber a few weeks ago when we were traveling, in fact, where the Uber just sort of disappeared. I wasn't mm-hmm. even traveling with a dog or maybe because I was standing beside <laughs> three people, people with dogs. Three people yeah, with a dog. Maybe, maybe they did a runner. And I reported the fact that, I mean, I couldn't prove that the discrimination was to do with the dogs or anything like that. We were just having difficulty finding one another in a busy New Jersey sidewalk. But all they really did then was say, oh, we're very sorry for the inconvenience and they gave me a bunch of credit, which doesn't really deal with the training issues. I suppose we do have to be empathetic towards people who genuinely are fearful. But the thing is, yeah, it's all very well and good to be empathetic, but we want to just go out there and enjoy ourselves or go to the conduct the business we need to conduct without feeling like we constantly have to be in education mm-hmm. mode all the time. Now, it's a complex thing because I do know that there are people who kind of, it seems like they're constantly at war with the world, you know what I mm-hmm. mean? And I think sometimes when you're ready for a fight, sometimes the fight comes to you. I've seen people who could have easily diffused a situation with a bit of diplomacy who get quite confrontational and then the thing gets out of control. But at the same time, we shouldn't have to constantly feel like we're in advocacy or education mode. Way early on in the Blindside series, and you can still hear this in the podcast because we keep all our episodes up, I spoke with Graham Innes, who was the Disability Discrimination Commissioner in Australia, but he was also looking after race relations. And I said to him, what do you do? If your portfolios conflict potentially, you've got a situation where a person with a disability wants to go somewhere in a cab and they get picked up. Let's be absolutely um, frank about this by a taxi driver who is Muslim. Mm-hmm. And they say, oh, we can't have dogs in our car because it's against our religion and then we'll have to go home and do all these things. And then so you have a, a, a effectively a conflict of rights. Now, I was quite interested that Graham's response is effectively the same as mine. You come to this country or whatever the country is and there's a law that says that guide dogs uh, are permitted to be carried in public transport such as taxis. You can't obey the law. You go and do another job. Yeah, and I think, I think that's the bottom line because there's, it's an interesting conflict. And I will just um, mention the Muslim cab drivers because this and Muslim Uber drivers or, or Muslim uh, public servants because it does seem to be that population. However, my experience has been more. It's been a fear factor, and they may have used the religious 
part of it because I know of Muslims who have no problem with dogs. And I've never been quite clear on that. If anyone is out there that is familiar with the Quran, they can probably set us straight on this. Because a lot of times it's just keeping the dog away from them, which is is fine if that's what they want. And really, in all honesty, if you're riding in a cab or if you're in a public place, your dog shouldn't be up interacting with other people. So if you're in a situation like that, just assuring the person, I won't let my dog touch you or lick you, you know, they'll put their head down and there's not going to be a problem. But I think just my own experience, and again, because in most Muslim countries, like I said earlier, like in many countries, dogs are wild. They don't necessarily keep them in as pets. Um, the ones that are kept as pets might be the very, very rich that do that. But the majority of them are pack animals that run wild and are rabid. And of course, you would be naturally afraid of it. But I'm with Graham. If you're going to do a job in the public, you need to be prepared that this is something that you're going to encounter. It may mean making a concession on both parts. I know here in New Zealand, a lot of times you do ride in the front seat of the cab, which you don't typically do in the U.S. There's no room. Yeah, in fact, uh, they recommend that guide dog mm-hmm. handlers ride in the front seat in the cabs in New Zealand. And it might be something, okay, I'll sit in the back, you know, if that'll make you more comfortable. And sometimes, I, I mean, if, if a person, any person, if they're going off confrontational first, some people you can't reason with no matter what. But I think sometimes you do have to just... Because sometimes you do, you just don't want to do You just want to get through it and get there. You shouldn't have to advocate. But if you can strike a happy medium. And sometimes it does like the – and we haven't really talked about what happened yesterday. Mm. But that's what happened. We were taking an Uber and the gentleman was unsure of taking the dog. And he wanted to know, could we put the dog in the trunk? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, no, we, we can't do that. You know, she'll die. So, okay, okay. And got, I got in the back. She laid down and curled up, and he was okay. He started. He apologized. He said, you know, I'm very afraid of dog, and I don't know where he was from. So he was not from here. And um, just from his accent, I would say probably somewhere in the Middle East or Africa. I'm not mm. really sure. I'm not really good with accents sometimes. But he apologized and said that, you know, I'm very afraid of dogs, which is, like I said, a lot of cultures, that's perfectly understandable. And I talked to him and explained that it was a guide dog, that it was not going to harm him. And he was okay. He was very apologetic, which I thought was a really, I thought it was a very teachable Yeah, no, it was. It it diffused a difficult Mm -hmm. experience because I think had he not apologized, we would probably have given him a very poor rating and stuff. But he actually did did seem to acknowledge he was... Yeah, he, he acknowledges fear, but also said, "Look, you know, this is a really well-behaved dog, and yes. I've sort of learned something from this." Um, so it was it was a teachable moment. Sometimes it can be tiring having to do those it teachable is. moments all the time. Um, but uh, I, I hope that we can perhaps stimulate a little bit of discussion. I wonder how rampant this is because reading some of the articles in the British newspaper about this legislation, and and, and I do hope to get somebody on the Blindside podcast from the UK about this legislation. But it is a private member's bill. And so they only have private member's bills once in a blue moon. And they're not officially government sponsored, although it does appear that there's a fair amount of support for this. And I understand that guide dog handlers have been in the the House of Commons campaigning in favor of this legislation. It sounds like 
you know, that it's really rampant over there, that there's a huge problem with guide dog discrimination. And I don't know whether the media is overhyping this or whether in the UK it really is a chronic problem. But you also see it quite a bit in the US these yes. days, don't you? With uh, you know, There's been a terrible issue with Uber. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and in fact, I do remember one exact same issue with another Uber driver in the States where they wanted to put the guide dog in the boot of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. So I, I would be really interested to know if you are a guide dog handler listening to this, how often do you get this sort of um, discrimination and how do you handle it? It must be very tiring. We get it occasionally here, but I wouldn't say it's rampant here. I wouldn't say it's rampant. It's always, taxis have always been an issue for as long as I have been handling dogs. Um they just they don't want the dog in the car. They're afraid they're going to tear up the seat, that sort of thing. And as long as I've been handling dogs, it's been an issue, um, but not not so much here. But you can easily go to a major city and try to get at a taxi rank or hail a cab and them not stop. I always like it when I'm in a city like New York or somewhere like or Boston where you do have what they call taxi starters. And I've had the starter just toss me in the cab and say, you're taking them. You know, we're not going to put up with this. Actually, we did have a very Mm -hmm. interesting experience when we were in Auckland back in June. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were being assisted into a taxi after a very long, you know, pleasant scenic train ride. It was Mm -hmm. like a 12-hour scenic train ride that we took for our wedding anniversary. And we got to Auckland, and at that point we were very keen to go to the hotel, especially since it was right in the middle of the Brexit referendum, (laughs) and I was uh, totally captivated by that. And we had this driver that refused to take us with Lizzie, and uh, he he just point blank refused. And and the guy who was with us from the terminal, he was most insistent, and he explained, you know, you could lose your license if you don't, Uh, take the dog, and here's basically, I don't care. (laughs) You know, I'll take someone else. And they actually made him leave the taxi stand, and everybody who was waiting for a taxi refused to get in. It was the most amazing thing of solidarity I've seen in a long time. Everybody said, no, if you're not taking the guide dog, we're not getting in your taxi. (laughs) And basically everybody there refused to get in the cab, and the cab had to leave. (laughs) It's extraordinary. (laughs) So it was nice that people people are so sympathetic, I suppose. And also another thing that we haven't really talked about is to really be careful with cab drivers, even when they do take your dog. There have been inc- incidents of them char- overcharging for the dog. So if you have a fare... I've not heard of this, but that was something that was mentioned when I was reading up on this legislation in the UK, that apparently some taxi drivers over there say, oh, you have to pay an extra fare for the dog. Yeah, <laughs> or a cleaning fee. I've had, I've heard of several people on Uber being charged a cleaning fee. And one thing I always tell cab drivers, and I know this to be true, is trust me, my dog is probably a heck of a lot cleaner than some of the folks you're picking up at 3 a.m. Yeah, from some yeah, bar no that's doubt. shutting down. But it's great to see this kind of legislation because I do feel that especially if you're going to work for a company there needs to be a lot of disability training i had even i know i had an issue with wellington combined once when i was here and the woman wouldn't take the dog because she said she was afraid of it wouldn't even wait to have another cat come and uh which is what you're supposed to do if the driver absolutely refuses to take the dog 
they should stay with you until another taxi arrives and have them them take the job. And when I called the cab company and questioned them, do you have people come in and educate your drivers and talk to them about guide dogs and that they're not going to attack them or tear up their cabs, yada, yada, yada. And then, oh, yeah, we do that. Well, obviously, it's not working. Would you like to have someone else come in and talk about it? <laughs> Got nowhere with it. Well, I hope that this conversation stimulates some people to email in. You can email The Blind Side, all joined together, theblindside at org. If you would prefer to, you can record a voice memo on your phone or send us an MP3 file recorded on your computer and tell us about any experiences you've had and also how you've handled them. If you've had to follow up with the taxi company and perhaps even go even further with authorities to take a complaint, how did that go? Just how much of an issue is this? How often do you find that you are having to go into bat, as it were, for your right to travel in these sorts of vehicles with your service animal? It would be interesting to hear, do you not think? I think it would be fascinating. Even other forms of transportation, because I haven't heard as much about it, but I have heard people who've had problems with public buses where a driver has run past them and refused to pick them up, probably because of the dog or has not been well received to them bringing a dog on the bus. And also, how do you perceive the entrance of other types of support animals and this is probably another show we could have on this topic (laughs) yeah but the fact that other types of quote support animals are out there now who may or may not be legitimate service dogs and if that in on some respects you feel has has hindered your ability to... I need to be able to take my emotional support rat on this plane. Exactly. Yeah. And and that is... Um, I can understand that. And one thing <laughs> that, that I will just say as a handler, we are responsible, and I'm sure that, the, that all the guide dog users and any other service animal user who is listening can completely support this. We're responsible for our dogs and how they behave in public. Yes, sometimes they're going to be dogs, They're going to pick up a piece of steak that's fallen on the ground or sniff, that sort of thing. But a business has the right to throw you out if Fido is jumping on the table, running around Mm -hmm. loose on the aircraft. And Uh, let's face it, not all guide dog handlers are saints. (laughs) No, not all guide dog. And and I think that on some levels that has, at least in the U.S., I can't speak for other countries, but – at least in the U.S., that is, in my opinion, a contributing factor because everyone has seen little yappo and dogs that or heard about them that have been in Walmart or have wreaked havoc in a restaurant. And the manager doesn't want another dog in. And mm. Mm. even though you're allowed to be there, you can certainly sympathize with them. So it's well, up I, to I us. suppose, except that's really frustrating when – Somehow they think that if they've met one blind person, yes. that the other blind person will be the same way. I mean, I mean that, that if if that, if that were a racial profiling, people would understand how entirely inappropriate that mm-hmm. is, and it's 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 no less appropriate in yeah. this case. But it, it, you're right. I mean, it happens. Yeah. It happens a lot. Mm. It happens quite a bit, and I think that maybe that's where we have have erred in at least the U.S. with the ADA 
is the fact that a business can have a service animal removed from its premises, whether it be a public bus or a restaurant or or even a cab if the animal is misbehaving. But they're so afraid to do that because of um, lawsuits. Right. All right. Let's hope that we get some interesting perspectives on how rampant this is, how you deal with it as a guide dog handler. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you for starting the conversation with us. Thank you. It's time to hear from this week's featured guest on The Blind Side. My countdown is on for my long summer break, which begins just before Christmas and goes all the way through to towards the end of January. That's where I don't do anything except maybe consume lots of cricket and good food and just generally chill out and spend time with the family. So I'm thinking about games, and that's one of the reasons why we're going to be talking about another series of games in this week's edition of The Blind Side, but also we're going to be doing it because there's a Kickstarter campaign on if you want to support these excellent games, and time is running out for you to do it, and I want to tell you about them today. Audio Game Hub is actually based here in New Zealand at the Auckland Institute of Technology, so it's nice to be able to tell you about something that's going on right here in my backyard and I downloaded these games a couple of days ago ahead of my interview with Yarek Bexer, who's in charge of the Audio Game Hub project team. And I've heard about them, but I've not gotten around to playing them. And I must say, when I did play them, all in the aid of research, you understand, for this podcast, man, I was super impressed. Everything about these Audio Game Hub games exudes quality. The professionally recorded voice talent, the sounds, the spatial stuff that's going on in the games – Really, they are very well thought through games indeed, and they are multi-platform. They're not just iOS games. So we're going to have a look at the PC versions for the Blindside podcast after we speak with Yarek Bexer. Now, we caught up with Yarek as he was heading back to Auckland from a meeting in Wellington. So the marvels of technology means that we talked to him at Wellington Airport. And I began by discussing with Yarek the fact that he started this audio game hub project before he arrived in New Zealand. Yes, yes, that's correct. So I started a project in uh, Germany. I was doing a research program uh, in Lüneburg. And we come up with the concept with some initial designs and some of the coding, but the proper coding was done in New Zealand. What was the inspiration behind doing this at all? Did you have any contact with blind people that made you think that this might be a good thing to do? Actually, yes. Uh, prior to that, I was working for Polish Telecom and I was working on uh, voice applications. And what I mean by that is speech recognition and speech synthesis apps. And one of my ideas was, uh, why not making a game that uses that technology? And uh, I did a couple of prototypes of games before and we tested them with blind people and they expressed interest in audio games. And some of them pointed out there are not that many games available on the market. And that was like a real driver for, for making this project alive. One of the things that impresses me, as soon as I ran the app for the first time, I was impressed by the fact that you've taken great care over everything, even in terms of uh, moving through the menus, you get an idea in, in an auditory sense about what the spatial relationship is there. So as you flip through the menu, the voices actually move across the screen in relationship to where the icon appears on the screen. Yes, and it took us a while to actually get to this solution. Initially, 
Well, if you think about all those games, they seem to be very easy to code and to, to, to develop. But once you start testing them with real users, you find out that hmm, all your assumptions were wrong and you need to refine them. Even with the menu, it seems very easy. Oh, you just need to do a folder-like structure and uh, just code it. But the truth is that uh, until you don't do any tests with uh, visually impaired, you don't know exactly how it works and what issues you can find. So it took us around six months, maybe more, to come up with even simple thing like the menu structure. So we've been refining it uh, all over many times until we got to the to the last moment. Real-world testing can reveal some completely unpredictable things, can't it? Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> we were so surprised so many times. You've and had... it actually makes you feel humble, like... You, you got some assumptions and you think, yes, this is going to work. And then you do the testing and oh, actually it's not working at all. And we need to rethink it all over. How did you go about testing before that? I mean, obviously, there was always going to be a point where you got real world users involved. But did you blindfold yourselves as a team to test the app or how did you do that? Yes, yes. So that's, that's the first uh, way we do it. So basically, when in the design phase, you try to imagine how can I control or how can, how can I perform actions when I would be blindfolded? Then we do a, usually we do a fast prototype and we ask one of the team members to actually play it. If not, we even catch like a random person on the street or even on the corridor at our office. Hey, could you play this part of the game? And we just see what happens. How did you conceptualize the games themselves? I mean, I think, is it, is it six? I'm just trying to count in my head how many games you have they're fairly traditional, I guess, but you've had to adapt them to a completely audio-based format. Yeah, so uh, the general idea for Audio Game Hub was uh, to actually play with different interfaces, with different game mechanics. And Audio Game Hub was a part of my PhD. I'm writing a PhD about how to play audio games on touchscreen devices. And I couldn't find enough games in one in one bundle to do my study. So I had to de design and develop some of those games. And yeah, th that's why we released uh, Audio Game Hub. But the way we chose the games was, we've been looking at arcade games and thinking which one would be the easiest to transform into audio world. And yeah, basically we looked at the classic arcade games and we've been trying to find different types of arcade games with different interfaces just to play just to just to play around with different types of, of game mechanics you have i guess found funding for this to date and we'll talk about the kickstarter campaign in a moment but at the moment when people download the app there doesn't seem to be a charge for any of these games is it some sort of university funded project at this point Yes, so initially it was funded by Leuphana University in Germany, then Auckland University of Technology took over and they sponsored the production of the of the audio game hub. And the games are for free because it was pure research project and I wanted to reach as many people as possible to collect their feedback. And our first intention was not to, to sell them, was not to make money on those apps. And yeah, to our surprise, we got over 30 5,000 downloads up to, up to today, which is quite amazing. I was expecting maybe, I don't know, 1,000, maybe a couple thousand at the most. 
Do you have a sense of how many of those 35,000 downloads actually are blind people and how many people are trying to play, you know, enjoying the challenge of playing a game purely in audio who can actually see the screen? Yeah, so when you install the game for the first time, there is a button that uh, says touch me. So I believe that people who can see, they will touch the button because it's very tempting to touch it. And people who can't see, most likely they won't because it's placed in the random position over the screen. And using Google Analytics, we saw that around 78% people didn't press the button. So we might assume that around this number, users are actually blind or have a very severe visual impairment. That is really clever that you came up with a, a way to identify who is blind or who is not. Do you also have a feel for how big this market actually is in terms of blind iPhone users? That's a very good question. I was asking this question to many people and you get different points of view. Like World Health Organization tells that there are over 39 million who are blind and 280 million who are visually impaired. But when it comes to the gaming and mobile apps, I don't think... Actually, no one knows the truth. Like some of the apps, they are downloaded over half a million times, but you never know who was downloading them. Because sometimes, like you have the Blind Legend game, for example, it might be that some sighted users wanted to try after some reviews in the newspaper. And they could bump up the, the download results. Now, I know you have a plane to catch shortly, so I do want to talk with you about the Kickstarter campaign, which has a few days to run as we record this. What are the objectives? I mean, I know you're way oversubscribed, which is fantastic. You've got more money than you were hoping for. But what are the objectives with the Kickstarter campaign? What will people see at the end of the process? Okay, so our initial idea was to expand the scope of the games that are in audio game hub we wanted to create at least five new games and the money we're collecting is actually covering studio recordings and sounds so it's not involving our salaries and and development time and mostly our goal was to raise them raise the funds for the studio recordings and actually increase visibility of our project because i must admit it's really hard to to reach to reach out with the world about the game to, to visual impaired community, it's, it's not easy. Obviously, you've had some success with this, and I know that your team has been reaching out to people. Somebody from Audio Game Hub contacted me, which I certainly appreciated because there's just so much going on in this industry that it's hard to keep up with everyone and everything. So it sounds like it's been a very big success for you. Well, thank you. Yes, we, we've been expected that we'll reach our goal like slightly over the 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 goal but we have 160 percent now and we have seven days to go so hopefully we will beat 200 I, I i hope so and the thing is that we're not familiar with marketing and pr and just imagine a team of developers sending emails and trying to build relations with media people that's not easy we we didn't feel comfortable with that but we had to do it. That was the only way we could spread the, spread the news about the project. Do you have a list at this point of what games you'll be developing with this funding? Yes. So in the Kickstarter, we decided that we will propose a list of, I believe it was 12 or 13 games, and we will ask our uh, backers to, to choose, actually, what games they would like us to develop. So at the end of the campaign, we will send out a link with, uh, with the voting, uh, with the 
with the voting uh, website. And yeah, we'll ask our audience to decide what games they would love to play. That sounds really brilliant. You don't scrimp on the details. That's one of the things that just jumped out at me when I played these audio game hub games. The voice talent, the acting that goes into the games, as well as the sounds, they're absolutely premium grade. They're the kind of quality that you would expect if you had purchased uh, a very high quality game from from some commercial source. Yeah, so when I was doing research before starting working on Audio Game Hub is and uh, and I found out that um, there are many games accessible to visual input but in most cases the audio quality is really bad in and in, and I mean bad quality in terms of sound effects and voice recordings. So we wanted to work on those two elements uh, quite a lot. And if you think about it, it's not that difficult. Uh, finding some decent voice actors and renting a studio is not that expensive as people might think. And another thing is spending some time of, about finding and designing uh, the sounds in the game. So it's basically a matter of choosing the sound files and purchasing the, the sound effects and music. So it takes a while, but it's not that expensive. And if you compare it to development of any like graphical game, you don't need any 3D engine, you don't need any 3D graphics, so that's reducing the cost significantly. And you're not just on iOS, right? You're also on the PC platform. Yeah, so we are on Android, PC, and iOS. We could potentially do more platforms, and this is thanks to the Unity engine. Uh, so most developers are familiar with it. The big advantage of it is that you code once, and then you can, and then you can port your your game, your engine to to several platforms, and it's quite easy and uh, and cheap. It's a wonderful thing you're doing, and I don't want you to miss your plane. Uh, we will definitely come up with a demo for this. So I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, and people can find out more. There's a link to the Kickstart page as well at audiogamehub.com. Correct? Yes. Yes. Please uh, spread the word among your friends, family. Uh, please support us. And there's another thing. One of the games that we are planning to develop will be quite a big one. It's called The Whispering Tunnels. And we developed over 70% of it. And I must say, it might be a game um, similar to Diablo for, for PC. So people who play Diablo, they, they know, they, they get the idea. So you want to make potentially the best hack-and-slash role-playing game for visual impact. That's our goal. Yarek Bexer from Audio Game Hub. Hopefully he got that plane okay because we let a couple of boarding calls go by. Eight games in total is what they offer in the free Audio Game Hub. I checked after the interview and there are indeed eight. So that's impressive. And they're quite different. I think we'll show you three of them. And it'll give you a feel for the way these games work and just how well produced they are. Since we looked at a series of iOS games last week, we'll go to the PC now also because it's my new toy, you see, with the new PC this week. So I've installed Audio Game Hub on my PC and I have run it before. When you run the app for the first time on any platform, it takes you through a very intuitive tutorial where it tells you about the way to interact with the app for the platform that you're using. And it asks you to practice that interaction to confirm that you understand what is being said. It's all very straightforward. So you won't hear that in this instance because I've already run the game a couple of times. We'll go to the start menu now. 
Search box edit. And I'm just going to type audio G. That should be enough. Audio game hub. Desktop app. There's audio game hub. So I'll press enter to launch the app. Audio game hub. Please turn the accessibility mode off. Use headphones for best sound experience. Auckland University of Technology. Leofana University, Lundberg. Sonar Interactive. Welcome to the Audio Game Hub. Main menu. Games menu. Hopefully you're listening to this with headphones on or in good stereo because the stereo separation is amazing on this thing. Right now we're at the main menu. And as you move through the menu, you would do that by flicking if you have one of the touchscreen apps in the standard way that you would flick if you were using a screen reader. Or you use the arrow keys as I will be doing here on the Windows version of the game. Incidentally, at least here on Windows, it tells you to turn accessibility mode off. It's a kind of a generic term, but I've had no issue actually leaving JAWS running in the background, so your mileage may vary. We'll get a right arrow, and as I do this, you'll hear that the voice moves across the stereo spectrum, so you get an idea of the way the screen is laid out and how many menu items there are. So on the far left, we have the games menu. If I write arrow, tutorial, you'll hear it's moving across the spectrum. Upload high supporters. We're about in the center now. Settings. We're going to the right. Credits. And then close app. Close app way over the other side of the spectrum. You can't press home to get back to the top of the menu. So we'll just left arrow repeatedly. Games menu. And if I went too far left, it makes a boundary sound to tell me that I can't move any further. I'll press enter and we'll go into the games menu. Games menu. Slot machines. We've got a series of games here. Let's just quickly show you all the games that are available in the present implementation of the Audio Game Hub app. Archery. Hunt. Samurai Tournament. Samurai Dojo. Labyrinth, Memory, Blocks. So there's something here for everyone, I think. We'll go back now. Slot Machines. And we'll choose Slot Machines. I think it's deliberate that this is the first one on the menu because it's the simplest game to play. And so if you start off with this, you'll get used to some of the concepts. Although you would be able to do this, I think, even if you've got some rudimentary computer or phone skills. They're pretty simple to play. We'll press enter. Slot machines game menu. Continue. Now it remembered that I was playing a game before and so in this instance there's a continue option. Start new game. If you haven't been playing before there'll be a start new game option as your first selection. Tutorial. High scores. So we'll go back Tutorial. and press enter on the tutorial and this is an example of just how detailed the information is when you go and play a game for the first time and you want to learn what are the gestures what are the keystrokes how do you play what's the objective let's have a listen to this description of the slot machines game good evening welcome to the casino royale why don't you warm up with our slot machines let me show you how this works to pull the lever and start the game press the spacebar or down arrow key Alternatively, you can drag your mouse down. Try it out now. So again, it's asking me to practice this so it's clear that I understand 
what it's telling me, I'll press the down arrow key. Good. Each item on the reel has a different sound. If you get three of one kind, you win. If you get a cherry, you always win. Now, let's try to change your bet. Press the left or right arrow key. You oh. can also drag your mouse to the left or right. All right, I'll press the left arrow key. Bet. One. Coin. Excellent. To listen to the winnings table, press the up arrow key or drag your mouse up. Enjoy your game and good luck. There's a lot of subtle detail that those people who have done audio production before or who've played a lot of games will really appreciate. For example, you may have noticed that when we moved into the slot machines game, we've obviously got a casino atmosphere here. It actually sounds like I'm talking to you from a casino, which is pretty cool. But the transition is amazing. It just gently transitions from the normal background music when you're in the main to menu into to this. the winnings table, press the up arrow key or drag your mouse up into this atmosphere. So it's very, very well done. And as you can hear, all the voices are well recorded, they're clear, the descriptions are great, and it's responsive too, to play. I'm going to right arrow once. Do you really want to start a new game? You will lose your progress. Yes. Yes, I do want to start a new game. You now have 100 coins. Bet 10 coins. If I press enter here... You now have 100 coins. It gives me my score, and there's also a way to do that on the touchscreen versions of the app as well. It's pretty cool when you're playing the touchscreen version of this because you sort of pull down, flick down on the touchscreen, and it really does feel like you're flicking down on a lever, pulling down on a lever. So we'll press the down arrow key, and we'll risk 10 coins, and we'll see how we get on. You now have 90 coins. Mate, this will not do. Let's try again. If I just pull the lever down one more time, my current bet of 10 coins will be repeated. You now have 80 coins. I'm going down, I tell you. You now have... 70 coins. I would like to win something merely because I want you to hear the sound of what happens when you win. You now have 60 coins. Oh my goodness. See, I thought that you would be lucky because you were so lucky when I played last week's game. I thought you were my good luck charm having you listening, but apparently that's not the case this week. You won 20 coins. You now have 80 coins. Let's see if we can get to 100 and then we can do a really big bet and see if we can go out with a blast or maybe win a heap. You now have 70 coins. Oh, we'll try one more. And if we don't get up to 100, then we'll move on to another game. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You won... 20 coins. Uh, we're still only you up to 80. have 90 coins. 90, see? Who can't add? All right, so we'll leave it there for the moment. I'll press the escape key. Slot machines game menu. Tutorial. And we'll go back one more with the escape key. Games menu. 
Slot machines. Now we're back to the main menu and that familiar main menu music. I ride Arrow now, and the next one we'll take a look at is the Samurai game, which I find quite addictive. This is really a game that tests your reflex. And I'll go through the tutorial and then explain why I find this such an addictive little game. Archery. Hunt. Samurai Tournament. Let's press enter to go in here. Samurai Tournament game menu. One player. This is slightly different because you can choose the number of players for this game. Two player. High scores. Two. One player. I believe, if my memory is correct, that you can go up to four players on the iOS version and probably the Android version as well because the screen is divided into quadrants and each person gets their quadrant of the screen to be in charge of. And you'll get the point of that in a moment when we do the tutorial. I'll press enter to go into the one-player mode. Samurai Tournament, one-player, menu, continue. I was playing a game before, so we'll go to the right. Start new game. We'll do that shortly, but first... Tutorial. Let's explain how it works. Welcome to the Samurai Tournament. You will fight against the finest warriors. If you defeat them all, you will come into the possession of the Notashi Blade, the fastest of all the Samurai swords. To beat each opponent, you have to win three rounds and gather three points. After you hear the start sound, press the spacebar as fast as possible. If you are faster, you get one point. But beware, if you press the spacebar before the start sound, your opponent gets one point. Do you really want to start a new game? You will lose your progress. Yes. Yes, I do want to start a new game. But before I do that, let me explain that this is particularly cool on the touchscreen, I think, because what happens is that your finger hovers over the touchscreen and you have to tap the touchscreen whenever you hear the sound. And it's really easy for your finger to just drop down on the screen while you're waiting because you're kind of tense, you're waiting. And then when you do hear the sound, of course, it tests your reaction time. It's a simple game, but it's surprisingly addictive. So anyway, I will start a new game and we'll just do one round and see if I can beat this person. No. Yes, I do. Yes. You are ready for the next opponent. Next opponent, Samurai Yoshimitsu. To start the challenge, press the spacebar for one second. All right, let's do it. I hope you're my good luck charm for this one. Prepare to fight. Right. Round one. I feel like the world is watching. I'm just waiting for something to happen here. It's quiet out there. You won. It took you zero point. 46 seconds. Mm. You have one point. My lowest is Your about... opponent has zero point. 41, 0.41 on the iPhone. You won. It took you zero point. 45 Seconds. Interesting that my you reaction times aren't quite as fast points. on the computer as Your they are on the phone. That's intriguing. Round three. All right. I've only got one more and then I won this round. You won. It took you 0.43 seconds. You have three points. Your opponent has 0.43 points. 
You are ready for the next opponent. Next opponent, Samurai Mitsuharu. To start the challenge, press the spacebar for one second. Okay, we'll press escape to get out of this game, but it's fun. And now you can do a multiplayer game. And that's pretty cool too when you have someone in the same room as you who you want to to play with. It would be interesting if they could make it uh, internet aware, but I guess uh, there could be ping times relating to different internet connections that could interfere with that, I suppose. Let's press the escape key. Samurai tournament, one player. And one menu. more time. Samurai tournament game menu. And one more more time. Games menu. Samurai Tournament. And just before we leave the Audio Game Hub app, let's just show you one more, just to give you a demonstration of the variety of games here. Samurai Dojo Labyrinth. This is a very different kind of game, and it can be quite challenging. It starts off simple enough, but the more levels you go to, the more complex the labyrinths get. Labyrinth Game Menu. Start New Game. Tutorial. Let's have an explanation of the Labyrinth Game. Welcome to my labyrinth. To survive, find your way out. Follow this sound. The labyrinth consists of dark chambers. Press up, right, down or left to move from one to another. Try to go east now. Alright, so that means we'll press the right arrow. Good. If you reach a wall, you will hear this sound. Press the spacebar or enter to hear which passages are open. Good luck. I think we're being left in the labyrinth now. Let me just press space to verify that. West passage is open. All right, we are. We're in the labyrinth, so let's go west, young man. Go west. I can hear the sound. I'm going north. I think it might be fractionally louder. Definitely louder now. Hmm. Okay, we're getting there. Going north. Getting so engrossed in this game, I'm not giving you much description, but you can probably understand what's going on. I'm I'm navigating with the arrow keys, going west, uh, east rather. We really are getting close now. 
code. I actually think I... Yeah, thank you. I'm going further away. Let me go back the way I came. Did I go... See, this is the labyrinth part of it. Okay, I'm getting close again. Let's just keep going this way. Thank you. The next labyrinth won't be so easy. I'm sure. So that's rather good. Um, the whole... Let me just get out of this before they get me in labyrinth another one. game menu. And I'll close Continue. the app. Studio recorder document. Back in studio recorder where we're recording. The attention to detail in these games is absolutely brilliant. And it really does, especially if you've got good ears on. It really feels like you're immersed in these games. It's a great experience. And there's something kind of light, you know, the slot machines. The Samurai, I suppose, is, is, is light. When you get into something like the Labyrinth, you can get very absorbed in it because you're just trying to concentrate on where you've tried and they get more and more complex. So... A lot of fun there. And there's some other games that we haven't tried, such as the archery and various things like that. So there's uh, probably something for everybody. And these games are free. Remember that the Audio Game Hub folks do have a Kickstarter campaign that's running for a little bit longer where they intend to make more games. They've proven themselves with these games. So you know that if you donate to the project and give them some funding, you're going to get great value for money. And I look forward to what they're coming out with next. So if you've got a few bucks to spare, do throw it their way. They've done a wonderful job already, and it's going to be even better in future, I'm sure. The website is audiogamehub.com, all one word. And you can also find their apps in the iOS App Store in the Google Play Store as well. That wraps it up for another edition of The Blind Side. We'll be talking some more serious stuff next week. Important things like entrepreneurship and business opportunities. Looking forward to that already. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting. On the web at mosin.org.